Oh, and people think I married her for her money. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Can, it sure wasn't that, I can tell you. <laughs> can you. Can you imagine being a 19-year-old preacher in southeast Missouri and finding a woman like this? Couldn't happen in 100 years. Could not happen in 100 years. I married her when I was nine. I married her when I was 19. If I had to do again, I'd marry her at 17, save myself two years of trouble. But anyway, I, that was great. He proposed on his 19th birthday. I did. I did. Right on my birthday, I proposed. And then I asked her if she would consider marrying me. I don't, hand, no. I don't handle rejection well, so I said, would you consider? And when she said yes, I just took that as a yes and went on with it. <laughs> Pastor Michael. Did that have a good ring to it? Pastor Michael, I don't think I ever got a vote that good. Ever. Ever. I don't think ever I, I got a better vote than that. So like 97%, something like that. Our congratulations to Bruce King and all of you on the pulpit committee. Way to go. Navigating a man from number two to number one is one of the most difficult and dangerous tasks a pulpit committee can ever undertake. And you all did it flawlessly. I tell you, your public committee, you the people, way to go. Michael and Tara and Audrey and John, are congratulations to you. It's good. Well, I'm now unemployed. <laughs> I just hate that so many of you are happy about that. Someone asked me when I came in, someone asked me how I was. By the way, I got so cut up in my beautiful wife, I forgot to take Matthew 26, 6. All right. As I was coming in this morning... My, uh, somebody asked me how I was doing, I said, if I was doing any better, I'd quit. And then I realized, wait a minute, I am quitting. I'm done. For the first time in 50, <clears throat> 51 years, I have no place to preach after today. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. We, um, and it's okay. I now know how those college students feel. What is God's will? What's next for me? You know, uh, and I'm there. And whatever the Lord wants, fine. We're happy. <clears throat> we have each other. If I just get too depressed, I'll let her play the piano for me, and that'll re- I'll come back, all right? Our last request, pray for us that God will open the door. It'll be obvious, and we'll go through it to serve Him. Well, sweet babe, one of the most famous passages in the Bible, the woman who gave her all, basically, to Jesus, so we'll talk about that in just a minute. You're taking an offering today, and I'm going to preach about giving to missions. That's what the sermon is about. It's a very difficult message. It's a tough message, and it shouldn't take me more than 95 or 100 minutes. If I ever preached that long, I'd have a heart attack and die, so you don't have to worry about that. You never have to worry about that. The heart patient, you don't have to worry about that. It will be a little bit longer than usual, though, maybe 30, 35 minutes, and uh, I think you'll be blessed by it, though, and you'll be challenged. So, Let's do Matthew 26, verse 6. It's a long passage, so Ruthie, why don't you come and read it for us? On this last Sunday for us, would you stand in respect for the reading of God's Word? Matthew 26, beginning at verse 6. Now when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume. And she poured it on Jesus' head, and Jesus reclined at the table. 
But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price in the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Amen. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. You may be seated. It's interesting that the disciples thought that Jesus was neglecting the poor. No one ever did any more for the poor than Jesus did, by far. But what he's doing is he is allowing us to see that not everything we do for him has to be practical. And this is one of the great stories to prove that. <clears throat> Near the end of Jesus' ministry, days before he was crucified, a loving, thankful woman threw discretion to the wind... And she poured extravagantly expensive perfume on Jesus. And the disciples, stunned, said, Why this waste? The woman lavished love on Jesus because she couldn't help it. His love had broken her heart. And so in response, her broken heart felt compelled to break open an alabaster box of perfume, which was one of the ways people saved their money. Perfume and ointment was very valuable in Jesus' day. Therefore, one of the ways that you saved money, like putting money in a bank, was you would buy perfumes, oils, ointments. This may have been the most valuable earthly treasure that she owned. And her act shows the potential we all have for showing love to Jesus. It is possible... To perform for Jesus an act of love so selfless that only He can appreciate it. It is possible that you could give to missions an offering large enough that not even John the Beloved would understand. Do you realize John the Beloved, the one who's closest to Jesus, the best friend Jesus ever had? He was one of those who said, I do not understand this. Why? This way. So here's the essence of the sermon. When was the last time that you or I gave to the Savior a gift so generous that it caused someone to say out loud, Why this waste? When was the last time your wife said to you, We maybe you shouldn't give that much? When was the last time your husband said to you, Do you think we ought to give that much? See, the story certainly talks about the woman's generosity, but just as heavily it talks about our miserliness. Had we been in the room with Jesus, don't kid yourself. We too would have said, why this waste? The disciples had forgotten, as we too often do, that sometimes love just has to do something wild for the beloved to express itself. Passion sometimes, you can't do this all the time. That's not the purpose of the message. This is not all the time. 
But passion sometimes needs to be so strong that it entirely forgets itself, disregards what others think, just casts all discretion to the wind, and lavishes itself on the beloved. Occasionally, we all need to give or do something that causes cooler hearts to ask, Why this waste? Our God deserves unexplainable expressions of love. It's been a long time since I gave a foolish offering to God. When Ruthie and I were young in Gosnell, Arkansas, and God laid on our heart that the bus ministry was to be our future, we took everything that we had of this earth and bought a bus. Everything we had of earth. And some people gave it back to us. And our bus ministry grew. We had to buy another bus. Ruthie and I took everything we had in the world and bought another bus. We went down about six of those buses like that. And every time we were reimbursed, we were grateful for that. But in those days, we knew revival had come. And we were right in the middle of it. And we were giving foolishly to God. And the question is, when do our hearts begin to cool? At what age does giving go from delight to duty? When your children and your teenagers, they come to you and they want to give something, a foolish amount. They want to do something. They want to give something. Don't, don't try to calm them down. They'll be like you soon enough. Every once in a while, extravagant love ought to break out in all of us. There's this abundant generosity that every once in a while something happens and the gift is given that nobody could understand. And everybody's saying, why this waste? When Jacob was told that Joseph was still alive, he did not believe it. Until the wagons arrived with all the gifts loaded on them that were going to take Jacob back. And Jacob looked at and said, that's Joseph. In the wilderness... The Israelites gave so much to build the tabernacle that Moses had to make them stop giving. Obviously, they were not Baptists. Quit giving. Quit bringing the money. One of the greatest stories in the Bible, Jesus, I mean, Paul the Apostle, taking the Macedonians as an example of a giving church. The Macedonians, Macedonians were one of the poorest provinces in the world. It sat right where Greece met Persia, right here. And that little isthmus right there, right there. And so when the Greeks and the Persians had all of those wars back and forth, every war ravaged Macedonia. Some of the poorest people in the Roman world, and yet when Paul picks one church to be his example, he says, you need to give like the Macedonians give, who have given us themselves. And then they give to the Lord. When the prodigal son came home, the father was lavish. He was so lavish that the older brother could not understand. Now, in each of these cases, we could ask, why this waste? But, before we ask it about these people, and we ask it about the woman in our text, we need to ask it about God. Now, I, I, I have a great reference for God. I never tell a joke about God, ever. My family, we never, none of us, I never allowed my children to have humor at the expense of God. Nothing, nothing like that. So when I speak, 
about the Lord, I speak very cautiously. So listen very closely to what I'm getting ready to say. We do not learn how to be miserly from God. God never gave to you with any hesitation, with any coldness of heart. As you look at creation, you'll see that God is powerful. You'll see that He is wise. Now listen to me very carefully. Look, God is wasteful. God wastes. He pours His love on us. He doesn't merely weigh His benefits or or weigh what He's going to do for us. God is not practical in the creation. When you look around every day, everywhere you look, you see God's wastefulness. You see extravagance. He gives every beautiful flower far more than enough seeds to reproduce its beautiful self. The sun shines far more light on the earth than our planet needs. Rain falls on the rocks as well as the soil. An incredibly beautiful sunset seen by the thousands every day are never seen by a human eye. The question is, why this waste? That brings us to the woman. Jesus looks down and he sees that this woman is doing what he is doing. He complimented her and said, wherever the gospel is preached, wherever people hear about me, they're going to hear about this woman. And that has been fulfilled. That has happened. Now, why is it that Jesus was making such a big deal about what she did? Because in her selfless act, he saw reflected what he was about to do. Why this waste? Now, listen to me. Listen carefully. One drop. If Jesus' blood could have bought you heaven. One drop. Why must it all be poured out? Why every drop? To show the abundance of the concern. The extravagance of love. To prove that God is wasteful. And when they said to this woman, why? This waste, they might as well have looked at Jesus when he's on a cross and said, why this waste? And Jesus said, you're going to hear about this woman forevermore. And occasionally we need to respond to God's love with extravagant waste. Sometimes we need to do something that will cause people around us to say, whoa, where'd that come from? Now, it is sad. We Christians in the United States of America, we're raised and cloistered in such a soft environment. We forget our true heritage. We forget that the people who are our greatest heroes are people over whom some event in their life, something happens, and you could scream at the top of your lungs, why this waste? In 1934, John and Betty Stam in their 20s were martyred. They laid down their lives as missionaries in China. And you could say, why this waste? And yet their martyrdom sent scores to the mission field. I will never forget reading the life story of Bill Wallace. I knew he was going to die. I already knew he was going to die a martyr's death. I knew about him. I knew who he was. knew his story. But as I was reading his biography, 
He was a missionary in China when the communists took over, and our mission board got everybody out, but Bill Wallace stayed. And so as I read it, I grew very fond of this gentle, brilliant medical doctor who fell totally in love with the people of China. When they finally arrested him and they began brutalizing him and beating him into unconsciousness, I was appalled. Now I knew how the story ended and I was just a few pages from the end of the book. And so as I got close to his death, I fell off the couch onto the floor and read the final pages with my nose right here on that book. Why this Waste. Well, for this young preacher in his 30s, lying on the floor, rededicating his life to God to do anything, whatever it took, it was not a waste. In 1956, the world was mesmerized when Life magazine sent some photographers to take pictures of the dead bodies of the missionaries the Aka Indians had killed in Ecuador. Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Ed McCulley, Nate Saint, and Roger Udarian. The world collectively grieved for these wives and their children. And all around the world, I'm sure people said, why this waste? And yet their death still is the number one launching event in the history of missions of the English-speaking peoples. In the early years of African missions, Missionary graves outnumbered the converts. In those early days when you would go to church, there were more graves of the missionaries outside the building than there were people inside the building worshiping. It was so bad that many Christians in the English-speaking world said, God does not want Africa to be one. It's too big a price. Our people were dying of all those diseases, and they were saying, why this waste? This is a waste. But there were some who saw through that. Charles Spurgeon, the greatest Baptist pastor ever, Charles Spurgeon said, no, no, it's not a waste. He said, by heroic sacrifice, the foundation of the African church will be laid. David Livingston also said that the rigors that the Christians were facing would lead to a huge harvest of souls. And oh my goodness, what if Livingston and Spurgeon could see Africa now? Why this waste? Africa began the 20th century with 4 million believers. It ended the 20th century with 400 million believers. Why this waste? Many missionaries have launched out for the cross only to find a shore to die on. The record of go somehow is written in blood. Missions has always plowed a wave of gore. Many have died that missions might live And we wonder why God would allow it. And we say, why this waste? And yet God allows no consecrated deed to ever be wasted. Spurgeon, the great pastor, he had one young man he poured his life into for three years. Young Hartley, beloved Hartley, he called him. Young Hartley was trained under the great preacher. Church prayed. They set him aside to be a missionary after three years. He left, landed, and died. And Spurgeon, who always battled depression, I battled depression until I was 35. I can relate to that. Spurgeon, who always battled depression, this, this event drove him down deep. And finally, he drew this conclusion. Surely the Lord means to make further use of Hartley. 
If God did not make him a preacher to the natives, he must intend that he should preach to us. You see, of everyone who goes, of everyone who dies, of all those who give their lives to missions, they go forth wanting to bless the people they go to. That's why they go. And yet they also go looking back, saying, who else will come? And so when you ask, why this waste? The waste is not in them. The waste is in us. It is so sad to me that that this overwhelming love for God does not rule us. It is sad to me that so many of our people want to give the minimum. Listen to me. Now, I'm just going to cut straight with you when this thing's over. I'm out of here so I can say anything I want to say. (laughs) If you can talk yourself out of tithing, your heart is going the wrong direction. I think, I think a tithe of God's people tithe, that's criminal. That is sin. That is absolute sin. Love never seeks a loophole to crawl through. But floodgates to give through. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. If you're always just giving the minimum, it's just the bottom, it's just the lowest amount. You know nothing about this spirit. When we capture the truth that God is love, we'll no longer ask of our giving, why this waste? But we will be looking, how can I give more? How, when was the last time you took a checkbook and you said, what if I could add another $100 this week to give to the Lord's work? When was the last time you checked your, your savings account and said, you know, could we give more of that to missions and to God's work? Pastor Michael told me that... Uh, and you give about $25,000. Being old, I know old people. The older generation in America is the richest generation in American history and the poorest. You can go either way. There are some of you sitting in this room right now who could take a checkbook out and write a check for $25,000 and you wouldn't have to make it to the bank tomorrow to keep your check from bouncing. My question is, then why don't you do it? When I was young, I arrived at a church and a few months went by and we were having record offerings. God was blessing, man, it was just beautiful and wonderful. My treasurer walked up to me and said, by the way, Pastor, our church gave more to missions last month than any month in the history of the church. In the whole history of the church. Well, I'm so excited, I can't stand it. I think i, I got to do something. So... I want to congratulate the people. And so I'm congratulating them. And, and I said, no, no, how many of you gave up something? You, you, you personally sacrificed to make this the largest offering in the history of our church. Would you raise your hand? I, I was trying to celebrate. I mean, I was trying to do something nice. Not one hand went up. And I remember the moment vividly. Now, I'm really a nice guy. But I remember this moment vividly. Not one hand went up, and I said instinctively, then why do we not give that much every month? When the Great Missions Revival began at 2nd, we hired Larry Reeser to be our consultant. He was the founder of a group named Global Focus that helped large churches uh, learn how to do missions well. And we paid him, and that was money well spent. We would have made a lot of mistakes had it not been for him. Larry came and told us a story about an African village that was saved in Africa. That's what happens. A whole village, they do things together. So the whole village got saved. 
And of course, they're reading their Bibles and just their, their simple way of reading the Scriptures. They begin to say, well, we're supposed to send out a missionary. And so they all got together and they tried to have a sale. They tried to sell everything that they could in order to send a missionary out. But they got done, they still didn't have enough. Larry said they decided to do it a second time. So they got together and brought things together and they went to villages around. They sold everything they could. They got back and they still didn't have enough. So they decided they'd try one more time, a third time. They gave everything they had, went around, sold it all, came back, and they still didn't have enough. And Larry Reesher said the whole village sat down and they wept because they did not have any more to give. Now this message helps explain why some of us are spiritually listless. If you do not have those moments when, when this, this love of God flows forth as white lava. Like I said, you can't do this all the time. I'm not even talking about that. If you don't have these moments where you do something that is so hot that it pushes you up. And then for the rest of your life, it keeps you up. It, it becomes the new standard for you. Then what happens is you just, you flatline. You just give the same every week. You write a check and think about how much you love the Lord. It just becomes perfunctory. It is these white hot moments when you write a check like you can't understand. When you give something beyond what you know. When you give your whole life to missions. When, when you take the step that others say, whoa, why this waste? Well, I'm going to tell you my favorite mission story and then I'm done. In 1904, William Borden graduated from high school, already a millionaire. For his graduation gift, his parents sent him on a guided tour all around the world. Took us, sent somebody with him. And somewhere between Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, somewhere in there, began to have a burden for the lost souls of the world. And so he wrote home, and he said that he had decided to give his life to be a missionary. There's your shocker. His friends were totally surprised he would throw his life away as a missionary. And I promise you there were people who were thinking, why this waste? But to William Borden, there were no reserves, nothing held back. He was going on. In 1905, he arrived at Yale. And missions had already begun in his heart. By the way, if you think that you go to the field to be a missionary, forget it. If you're not doing missions here now, missions has nothing to do with geography. It's always a condition of the heart. And when 1905, Borden arrived at Yale, the missions enterprise was already in his heart. And Yale was in a terribly low spiritual time. And so he started all these prayer groups. And by the end of the year, he had 150 freshmen in those groups. By the time he graduated, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were regularly meeting in these groups that he had started. In trying to win the students to Christ, Borden always took the ones most difficult to try to win to Jesus. He would take out the most incorrigible ones and try to get them to follow Christ. His missionary heart reached even past the campus. He cared for widows, orphans, the sick. He built a, a haven for addicts. When he graduated from Yale, Borden decided that he was going to press on. He was offered many high-paying jobs, including one from his father. But just as he had no reserves, he had no retreats. He wasn't going to look back. And I promise you, 
that even his father probably thought, why this waste? Why would my son do this? Borden did his graduate work at Princeton and decided that God had called him to the Muslims in China. Sailing for China, since he intended to work with Muslims, he stopped in Cairo, Egypt, which is still the, the center of the intellectual center of, of Islam. He stopped in Cairo, Egypt, to study Arabic. And while he was there, he came down with spinal meningitis, and with a month, Borden was dead, age 25. And when news of his death was cabled back to the United States, His story was told by almost every American newspaper. The Borden family was extremely well known. His biographer, Mary Thomas, said a wave of sorrow went round the world. And I promise you, there were people right here in the Lake of the Ozarks area who picked up a paper and read about the death of William Borden and said, Why this? Waste. But Borden didn't think it was a waste. Right at the end of his life, he gave $800,000. He gave his estate to the China Inland Mission and to other mission causes. So not only was he a man marked by no reserves and no retreats, he finished as a man with no Regret. See, here's the point. Here's the point. Why this waste? It's what you do for Jesus is the only thing that you don't waste. Let me change the meaning of the word down. Let me flip the word. Everything that you keep for yourself, you're going to lose. All of it. All of your house, your car, your clothes, your savings account. Everything that you keep eventually is a waste. Only what you give to Jesus and what you do for Jesus is going to last forever. I'm now 66 years old. That means if God allows me to live to the age of strength, 80. That means if I give every minute of every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year to God, I have 14 years left to give. That seems like a piddling amount. Piddling, piddling amount. 14 years. But a 14-year-old has 66 years to give. A 30-year-old has 50 years to give. And if you're 50, you still have 30 years to give. And when you come to the end, Will people be able to look at your life and say, wow, just think what he could have done. <laughs> just think what they could have been. Just think what they could have accomplished. If it doesn't cross the mind uh, somebody's gray matter, if it doesn't go through somebody's brain, why this waste? If somebody doesn't think that, then truly your life was a waste. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's go deep. We're not going to be ostentatious and ask you to get on the floor and spread eagle your face before God. But I want you to do that in your heart. I want you down low. 
just spread out and saying, oh God, what, what can I do? What can I give? Some of you need to give the largest offering you've ever given in your life today. Some of you need to come back tomorrow with a check and say, I, I just, I've never given enough. I've got to give more to missions. I've got to do this. This is what God wants me to do. Some of you need to surrender your life. Some of you need to start tithing. Just, just quit looking for the loopholes. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. What you give away is the only thing that will last. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, I'd like to lead you in a possible prayer. There's nothing sacred about the prayer. But if this prayer helps you say what you want to say, if it expresses what you're truly sensing, maybe you'd like to repeat it silently as I pray it out loud. Here it is. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Come live in my heart. I receive you as the master of my life. Amen. All right, everyone, we look right here. All eyes, this direction. If you receive Jesus, we'd love to talk to you about it. Ruthie and I will be near the door at the end of the service today. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a Christ follower. If you want to join the church, whatever. Pastors here, we want to have time to do Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we come before you now, and Father, we thank you for the truth and the song that we just sang. God, that you died and that you rose so that someday we will see the new Jerusalem. Amen. Lord, as we come before you now, God, we ask that you would allow us um, to just understand in this time of giving that, that there's no way that we can ever outgive you. Um, God, that there's no way that that we can ever repay the debt that we owe. And so, Father, as we give now, we pray that we would give with joyful hearts, hearts that are thankful and reflect your goodness to us. God, we ask that you would bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen.